Pastor. But it's always an honor when I get to be up here and share God's word with you and share God's word and what he has for us. Um, I, I knew I was going to be speaking this week, the last week of the Your Word series, when Dennis asked me. And I began to pray, what do you want me to share, God? What is the word, what is your word that you would like me to share this morning? What do you have for me? What do you have for us as a family? And it became clear that God wanted to, to give us his word, specifically words of hope in the midst of failure. And that's the title of the sermon today, Words of Hope in the Midst of Failure. You know, the thing about failure is it's a pretty human experience. It's, it's common across the board. You and I have experienced failure. We're not exempt from it. question is, how do we handle it? What do we do in the midst of failure? And that's what I want to talk about today, words of hope in the midst of failure. Throughout Scripture... Um, if you read very much of it, you'll find that the Bible is filled with people who are very human like you and I. They fail time and time again. And you often wonder, how long can God put up with these people? You know, you read about the children of Israel, God's children, and they are constantly turning away from the Lord. And in the midst of failure, God continues to restore and redeem, to bring back to him. God doesn't abandon God doesn't leave. God doesn't give up. He is a God of hope, and he has hope for us today. In the midst of your failure, in the midst of your storm, whatever you're going through in life, God has hope for you because God is far bigger than what you're dealing with. So today what we're going to look at is Peter. And uh, Peter was a disciple of Jesus, and he was no stranger of failure. In fact, Peter was really good at one area of his life in failing. And that was with his words. He would often overreact in a situation, and he would, you know that thing that comes to your mind like, I want to say this, but I shouldn't? Peter would say it. And yet, he was one of the disciples of Jesus. And then there's a story that I think is humorous about Peter where Jesus was telling the disciples that he's going to be crucified. And the disciples become quite concerned. And Peter, the lead disciple, realizes you know, Jesus is kind of scaring everybody. I need to, I need to step in. And so in Mark, Mark records this in his gospel. It says that Peter pulled Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. I think about that. I think of having the guts of, I'm going to pull Jesus aside and rebuke him. A little bit of overreaction. In case you're wondering what Jesus' response to Peter was, this is where we get the famous uh, phrase of Satan, get behind me. So that was, Peter's, or that was Jesus' response to Peter. But yet, in the midst of all of the failures of Peter, God had a plan for him. He had a purpose for him. He, ne- he didn't give up on Peter. He didn't discard Peter. He didn't abandon Peter. He continued to love Peter and guide and direct him. That's what we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to John chapter 13. We're going to pick it up. This is taking place in the Last Supper setting. And in this setting, um, it's Jesus gathered his disciples together, and he is going to be betrayed later this night. He's going to be arrested. So it's an important time, and Jesus knows this is his last night with his disciples. This is the final time to teach them some of the most important truths he came to teach. And so he spends a long time, we don't know exactly how long, but he spends, spends a long time teaching them. 
Well, at the beginning of this time, there's this exchange where Peter is saying, or Jesus is saying, I'm going to go away. Okay, and so this is where Peter often, as he would do, overreacts with his words. He says something that he later regrets. Thankfully, no one in here has ever done that. But we're going to look at Peter and see what he said to Jesus in this instance. Verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus said, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Peter, you think you're ready to go all in and say, I'm going to lay my life down. But I know tonight you will have the chance to affirm your belief in me, to say you're a follower of me, and every chance you get, you're going to deny me. You know what, Peter? You're going to fail three times tonight. Now, I wonder if I, what Peter felt in that moment. When Jesus looked at him and told him those words, what do you think went through Peter's mind and heart? You know, maybe put yourself in this situation. What would be going through your mind and heart if Jesus looked at you and said, I know, I know you think you got this, but you're actually going to fail me three times tonight. Just today you're going to fail me multiple times. What emotions does that stir up in you? What would you be feeling? And maybe the better question to this scenario is, what do you think Jesus would say to you next? What are the words that Jesus is going to say to you next? Is Jesus going to look at Peter and say, so you know what, Peter, you can go ahead and leave. You know, I'm tired of you failing with your words, Peter. I've, I've been with you three years, and you still don't get it. You still say things that aren't true. What would Jesus say next? Well, thankfully, we serve a God of hope, who restores and redeems in the midst of failure. And so he's going to give Peter words of hope in the midst of failure. And for you and I, I believe we need words of hope in the midst of failure. We need God's hope. We need to hold on to these words just as Peter did in this moment. So let's see what Jesus replies. John chapter 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This is an interesting three verses that Jesus um, leads with after telling Peter he's going to fail. Because what he does here is he gives Peter three things. He's he gives him a what not to do. He tells him what not to do. Then he gives him the how to, and then he attaches a promise. And it's kind of a pattern you see throughout Scripture, but this is really specific to Peter in the midst of failure. What not to do, how you can do that, and here's a promise I'm going to attach to that. The first thing is what not to do. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be troubled. That's the words that Jesus gives Peter, and that's actually a command that's not just, you know, if you think about it, keep your heart from being troubled. This is a command just as though the Ten Commandments are commandments. That kind of command. 
that we are to hold on to. This is partly our responsibility, and we're going to look at some things that help us to do that. But the word troubled, you know, we're in a series about your words, and what's fascinating about words is you and I could say the same word and have a different meaning. And if we all went around and asked to describe the word trouble, we may have quite a few definitions in here. So this particular word that was used here means an inward stirring, an inward uprising. This would be a word that you would use if you went to a town and there was a riot going on. You would say that that town is troubled. Okay, so think of it. It's an internal riot. In the midst of your failure, do not let your heart have an internal riot. You know when you lay down to go to sleep at night and that trouble begins to rise up and it keeps you from sleeping hour after hour because you're not sure how this is going to turn out. You don't know and it just begins to consume you. Jesus says, do not fall into that. Do not let your heart be troubled. Corey and I have a book called the Jesus Storybook Bible, and we read this to our kids. And it's a fantastic, uh, if you have little kids, it's a fantastic Bible to read to them. And it just has stories, and every time at the end of the story, it relates it to, to Jesus and points to him. But one of the stories in there is the story of the disciples and Jesus in a boat in the middle of a lake when a storm comes. And it's a common story told in Scripture um, where the disciples who, many of them were fishermen, They've been on a boat in the middle of a lake when a storm comes. But in this particular story, they become incredibly frightened. This storm seems to be far worse than anything they've ever seen. And it says that their boat is taking on water. And they become incredibly frightened and fearful. And that inward riot rises up in them. Jesus is on the boat too. I have a picture from that storybook Bible that I want you to look at. And I believe the guy hanging from the mast has to be Peter. Because he was always over the top. And he's hanging on for dear life screaming. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe he thought he was going to walk on water again. But he is hanging on. Some of the disciples are just white knuckling that boat. Believing this is it. This storm is going to end us. And yet we have Jesus in the midst of the storm. With that little boat being tossed around by huge waves. Is asleep. He's at peace, incredible peace. In fact, if you look at, you know, our little kids sometimes have thought he's dead. I mean, he just, he's sitting there at such peace. He's not moving. How could somebody be in the middle of a storm like that and be sleeping peacefully? When you and I are in the middle of a storm of life, whether it's from a failure, from a decision you made, or it's just one of those things in life that hits like a storm, how do you handle it? Are you like the disciples in the boat? And there's just inner turmoil. And you can't find any rest and any peace. Or are you like Jesus? And you're calmly asleep, trusting in our Lord. Well, I believe you and I are called to be just as Jesus is. The Prince of Peace reigns in my heart so that I can be at peace in the midst of a storm. So in the midst of failure, I can understand that God is still with me and loves me, and I have hope. The boat is not going down. The boat is not sinking. Jesus is on board. So Jesus, or Jesus gives Peter the what not to do. In Proverbs 4, verse 23, it says this, Above all else, guard your heart, 
Don't let your heart be troubled, but guard your heart, for from it everything else flows. You and I have to guard our heart. And the reason we have to guard our heart is because we have an enemy who, in the midst of failure, sees that our heart is vulnerable to believing his lies. The enemy of our soul schemes about to whisper words and to whisper lies to you in the midst of failure. I believe we're incredibly vulnerable to believing some things that aren't true after we fail. Right after we fail, Satan comes around and he says, You know what? You are just a failure. You know what? God doesn't really love you. How could he love you? You know what? God doesn't have a plan for you anymore. You've failed one too many times. And this is what the enemy does. In fact, Paul writes to the church in Corinth about this situation. In the church in Corinth, um, we don't know exactly what happened, but there was a man in the church who made a decision that failed uh, in some way. And so the church had dealt with that issue. They had disciplined this issue. But some of the people in the church were being used by the enemy. They didn't even know it. But they continued to point out this guy's failure. They continued to bring it up after it had been forgiven and dealt with. They continued to heap words of shame and guilt upon this person. And so Paul writes to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. So on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed. Another word you could use there is swallowed up by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. In verse 11, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. We know that Satan schemes, and his schemes are words, and he's trying to get you and I to believe things that aren't true. And he knows that when we fail, he knows that when we're in the midst of a storm, there's an opportunity that we're vulnerable to believe in some of that. That he can come by and whisper and he can say, you know what? God doesn't care about you. God has left you. That's why you're going through this storm. And so we have to figure out, we have to guard our heart. And Jesus in a minute is going to tell you how to, but I want to tell you a few things on this. That those words that come through, if they speak turmoil, if they steal your peace and your joy, those are from the enemy. If they are words of death, they are from the enemy. God brings words of hope and peace in those situations. And we have to line those words up and say, which one are they from? Is this from God or is this from the enemy in my soul? Because the enemy, he can sound really good. He's crafty with his words. So we have to line those up. Do not let your heart be troubled, Peter. You're going to fail me three times tonight, but I'm telling you, do not let your heart be troubled. And now I'm going to tell you how to do that. Act on your faith. Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in me. But this is a belief that, that implies action. Whenever scripture talks about belief, it implies that this informs how you behave, how you live, how you act. And you and I have beliefs like that that inform how we live and act and behave and what we do. In fact, all of us in here shared at least one common belief today. That is that your chair would hold you up when you sat down. Did you know that? I didn't see anybody walking in checking out to see if the chair was put together well. I didn't see anybody checking the welding on it. But we all came in and we believed that that chair was going to hold us up. And so we just sat down. And when Jesus says, believe in God, believe also into me, it's this active belief. 
It's not a passive thing. It's an act of belief. And we're going to keep believing in the midst of the storm. We're not going to give up on God because he's not given up on us. We're actively going to continue to believe in God in the midst of the storm. I want to give you a couple of actions, some things that we can do. Actions of belief to keep your heart from being troubled. First, this sounds really simple, but first is prayer. We serve a God, and we have access to a God who is far bigger than the storm you're in. He is far greater. His love and forgiveness is far greater than the sin you've committed. And so we go to him in prayer, and we hand things to him. Paul writes to the, to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want the peace of God to guard my heart and my mind in the midst of failure. In the midst of the storm that I'm going through, I want God's peace to guard my heart and my mind. This word, as Paul wrote this, the language he's using there about let your request be made known to God. Another way you could think about that or write that is it's throwing it overboard to him. It's releasing that to him and not taking it back. That's the key. What I find is often we pray about something, we want to hand it to God, and then when we're done praying, we want to say, actually, let me just take that back for a little bit. I want to hold on to that, carry it around just a little bit longer. You know, I, I'm a worrier. I like to just worry. So I'm going to hold that on and worry about it a little bit longer, God. And then we take it back to him and say, hey, God, I got this thing. I'm dealing with this, this storm. And, and can you do something about it? Okay. Nope, I'm going to just hold on to it a little bit longer. Paul says we need to throw that to God. Completely release it to him and trust him. And when we do, the peace of Christ will guard our hearts and will guard our minds. I can think of a time when I experienced this internal struggle, this troubled heart, that riot going on inside. Corey and I, uh, two years before Annabelle was born, we decided we wanted to have a family. We were ready to have kids. Taking that big leap, we'd had the four-legged furry kid, and now we're ready to have real people kids. So <clears throat> shortly after that, Corey got pregnant, and then shortly after her pregnancy, she had a miscarriage. And the miscarriage was, was tough. It was tough for me, but part of the way I work is, you know, she'll get pregnant again and, and all will be well. And then she didn't. And month after month after month, it continued to say, not pregnant, not pregnant, not pregnant. Went to fertility doctors and all the specialists and all that. And I remember laying down at night in those moments and just being overwhelmed with a troubled heart. And I would turn and I would just be weeping in bed thinking, I don't know how this is going to go, God. This isn't what I planned. This isn't what I foresaw. She got pregnant really quick to begin with. Why is it, what's going on? I don't get it. And I was really troubled. And I was holding on to it. And it was eating me up inside. But I can tell you the moment when I did this, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, when I handed it to God, and released it to him. I was at camp with our middle school students. And it was in the middle of a time of worship. 
And just the presence of God was there with me in a powerful, powerful way. And I finally just said, God, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know what your plan is, but I'm trusting in you. I am going to trust you in the midst of this storm. This isn't what I planned, but it's not my will, it's your will. And I believe that you are a good God who loves me and cares about me. And I released it to him. And when I did, it was like the peace of God just washed over me. And I just began to have peace about this whole situation. Because whether it turned out how I wanted or not, God was still there. He was with me in that struggle. He was with me in the boat. And I knew that. And I knew that he loved me. Thankfully, God has blessed us. He's given us a blessing of having two children since then. And there they are, Annabelle and Cohen. And if you ever wonder, having two kids under the age of two will just wear you out. (laughs) But they are a joy and a real blessing. And uh, God used the the storm of, uh, I don't know, 16, 17 months of not being able to get pregnant to really refine some things in me. That, that maybe I wouldn't have been able to, to um, allow him access to had I not gone through the storm. But he was there. He was in the midst. He loved me and cared for me. So Jesus gives Peter <clears throat> this thing. Believe in God. Believe in me. That's, that's how you keep your faith. That's how you keep your heart from being troubled. So we looked at prayer. The second action is to take every thought captive. Did you know you can't believe every thought you think? That you have thoughts, even on your own, that are not true. You just can't believe everything you think. And if, you know, for me, God has blessed me with a wife who lets me know that. that I cannot believe everything I think. It is not always true, what I think. Uh, and she's, she's a great gift in that way. Second um, Corinthians, Paul writes this. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In the midst of a storm, in the midst of failure, there are thoughts that are going to come that aren't true. And we have to take every one of those thoughts and say, does this line up with the truth of God? Does this thought give life or death? Does this thought line up with who Jesus is in Scripture and what he said? Because if it doesn't, I'm casting it out. It's not true. I'm not holding on to that thought. I'm going to just say that thought is not true, and I'm going to turn to the truth of what God says, that God does love me, and God does care about me, and God does have a purpose, just like he did Peter. So we have to take every single thought captive. Too often, I think, we let our thoughts run amok, and it just kind of runs wild. And we need to pull back and say, you know what, God, I want to take every thought captive, submit it to your truth to make sure this lines up and that this is from you and not from the enemy who wants to speak lies into me. So pray and take every thought captive. The last thing is the promise. This is a promise that Jesus gives Peter, and I call it the promise of presence. That Peter, wherever you go, I will be with you. I'm going to prepare a place for you in the future that you're going to have a home for eternity, but I'm also going to be with you wherever you are on this earth. It is a promise of his presence. Jesus would later go on to say in that chapter that he's going to go away so that the Father can send the helper who will dwell with us, who will lead us in all truth. The promise of presence that in failure, God does not abandon you. 
Failure is not fatal. God hasn't given up on you. I know in my own life, one of the lies that I began believing, and I don't know where, where I started believing it, but was failure um, resulted in rejection. I believed if I failed, I would be rejected. And when you have a lie like that and you operate in that, it's a pretty imprisoning place. There's not a lot of freedom in that idea because we all fail. And when you fail, you think you're rejected. And that's what the enemy wanted me to believe. That if I fail, I'm going to be rejected by these people. If I fail God, he's going to reject me. And I was reading through Romans for the very first time in my life. And I still remember I read it, ran across a verse that just tore that lie right out of me. It tore that lie right out of me. And I'm so thankful. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're having warm fuzzies or not. God promises he is always with you. In the midst of the storm, he is with you. In the midst of failure, he is with you. He does not abandon you. He still has a plan for you. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 31, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is a promise you and I can hold on to. And we need to proclaim that in those times of failure. In the times when you're saying, I don't know where you are, God, in this. I don't get what's going on. But you know what I do believe, God? You are still with me. You have not left me. You have not abandoned me. No matter what I feel or don't feel, you are with me. And you can overcome this situation. A promise of his presence. The Gospel of Matthew When Matthew wrote his gospel, it starts out with the angel going to Mary and telling Mary, you're going to give birth to a child. And as the angel goes on, it says, you shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The very last words in the book of Matthew is Jesus talking to his disciples after he had resurrected from the dead. He's getting ready to ascend to heaven. And he looks to those and he says, listen, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The very gospel of Matthew is bookend with this promise that God is with us. That we can have hope because God is with us in the storm. We can have hope because his forgiveness is far greater than our failure. Your failure is not fatal for God. He has died on the cross, and that is enough. That is sufficient. You don't have to carry guilt and shame around That's what the enemy wants you to to live. We saw that. The enemy wants you to be swallowed up in sorrow because of something in your past, because of something you've done, because of a storm you're in. But God wants to give you life and he wants to give you hope and peace in that time. You know what I like about the Bible is we get to read the end. What happened to Peter after this? What happened in this story? How did this story play out? And so we, we do know that Peter... Sure enough, denied Jesus three times. And it says, when the rooster crowed, he wept bitterly. You know, I wonder after that if, if he had some inner turmoil going on that Jesus was trying to warn, warn him about. But the next thing is, what would Jesus say to Peter when they meet again? 
after Jesus was crucified and he raised from the dead, what would that encounter be like? What do you think Jesus would say to Peter? Do you think, sometimes I wonder if it was me, I would have felt like he was going to reject me. You know, what do you say? I told you so. I told you so, Peter. Told you that was going to happen. Called that one. What would he say in that moment? And I wonder what Peter felt. You know, he's probably a little nervous to go see Jesus after he denied him three times. But it's a beautiful story of what Jesus does. The fishermen, the disciples who are now fishermen at this time for these few days, they're out on the lake fishing and they see Jesus on shore and they all go in and they're sitting around having breakfast. And there's probably some other conversation, but eventually Jesus looks at Peter and he's going to restore and redeem Peter in this moment. And he looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Now, we all know that Jesus knew the answer to this. He knew Peter loved him, knew it. But he's letting Peter reaffirm his love. Yes, I love you. And then he's going to say, Jesus is going to tell Peter, I still have a purpose for you. Feed my sheep. I've not given up on you. I still have a plan for you. Listen, you may have failed me once and you may fail me again, but I still have a plan for you. My, that cross was bigger than your failure. And he's going to ask him again, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? He asked him three times the exact number that Peter denied him that night to reaffirm his love. You know, I wonder if Peter had heard some lies of the enemy in those moments before and that night when he denied him and the rooster crowed, did the enemy come and try to speak some lies into him? I wonder for you and I, have we believed some lies from our past failures that have imprisoned us that just aren't true? They don't line up with God's word. They are not words of hope and life. I'm wondering in your own life, has that been you? Maybe like I had believed some things that were not true. true about, they weren't true about me and they weren't true about God. What is God saying to you? What's he speaking to you in these moments? Because we serve a God of hope. And I want every one of us to hold on to his hope. And his words. What have you been listening to? What storm are you in that you need to release to him and just say, God, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I'm trusting you. I'm walking in faith. I believe, God, that you are bigger than the storm. I believe, God, that you still have a plan and a purpose for me. I believe, God, that with just a word, you can make that storm stop. But sometimes the storm goes on longer than we expect. And God is still in the boat. Jesus was in the boat with the disciples. He's in the boat with you in that storm. We serve a God of hope. He's got hope for every one of us. It's his hope and it's not ours. Would you pray with me? I just want you to start by asking God to speak to you. Ask him to give you a word of hope. Maybe he's going to bring a a scripture to mind or maybe he's going to give you a specific word of hope. But I know this. I know we need to hear him. He desires to speak to us. 
then I want you to ask God if there's anything that you have been believing because of past failure that isn't true. Ask God to show you that. We don't always know that it's not true. That's why we've believed it. God wants you to believe in the truth and not in lies. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're just in the middle of a storm that you would like prayer for, this is a storm that you just don't know how it's going to end, but you, you would like prayer for it, would you raise your hand? You're just in the middle of a storm and things are tough. Bless you. Bless you. Father, I pray for those who have raised their hands that are in the middle of a storm and they don't know how far away the other side is. They don't know when the storm's going to stop. But God, we know that you are there with them in the boat. And God, you are the Prince of Peace. And I pray that you would impart your peace over them. That it would guard their hearts and their minds. That they would not have a troubled heart. But they would have a heart that's at peace, that is guarded by you. Father, we thank you that you are our hope and that you have overcome the world. There's not a thing in this world that can take that away. There is nothing that can separate us from your love. And we put our hope in you, God, and nothing else. Father, it is in your Son's name, our Savior, that we pray. Amen. If you would like to receive prayer, the altars will be open during this time of worship. And as we stand up, I just would ask you just to step out of your, your chair, your aisle, and come forward and to receive prayer. We're in this thing together. We're not doing this alone, so come and receive prayer.